Hi, everybody. This is going to be a little bit of a different um, podcast, uh, the following, uh, because um, Sunday's Mother's Day, and Kitty and I were talking this week, but reflecting about the, the fact that our, our mothers had just passed in the last couple of years and, and um, how we miss them. And um, so I was, um, my sister told me that when my mother was um, in the, for her final day, she used to uh, stay in her bed and and uh, one of the things she would do every day is listen to a, a CD that I made back in the 1980s, before they had CDs, actually. Uh, and uh, she listened to the music, and it helped to get prepared to leave this life and go to the next. And um, so we're going to listen to a couple of songs off of that. Um, and also I found on my computer a message, a Mother's Day message that I preached at the uh, Birkenhead Baptist Church about probably 10 years ago. And so you'll notice that my voice is in better shape and um, the Parkinson's hasn't taken um, much effect of it yet. But um, we hope you have an enjoyable Mother's Day. If, you, if your mother's still living, that you give her a big hug and some flowers and take her out for a meal. And if you've heard this uh, um, after the fact uh, and you haven't lived up to that standard, go do it. So and I hope you enjoy the, the uh, podcast and God bless you. The following, a podcast dedicated to two words Jesus used to change the world, follow me. He used it then and he uses it now. What does it mean? Does it define the boundaries of our relationship with him? Come and join us as we explore follow me in the following. sweeter 
ministry here. <clears throat> and one of the, one of the banes of, of um, pastoral ministry is um, sometimes the, the fact that we do things year after year after year and, and special days and our holidays, our holy days become year after year after year and after a while it becomes difficult to be creative and think of new ways of expressing uh, the truth about what, whatever. And so Easter and Christmas, while they're wonderful times of the year, are a little bit more difficult to come up with some way to express the truths of those seasons in a unique and creative way. Um, and special days like Mother's Day is similar. Uh, so I was thinking, now what can we do on Mother's Day about conversations with Jesus? Um, and because actually he didn't talk to his mother much. I don't think they had was any problems. It's just not recorded much in the scriptures. There are just a few little, little interludes where he spoke to his mother and she spoke to him. So we're going to look at one of those, and I uh, titled the sermon, Okay, Mother. It's probably more reflection on me, because I've said that a thousand times, and I'm like, okay, Mother, whatever you want. Uh, now, my mom raised three, four kids, <laughs> three, three kids and me, whatever I am, uh, four kids uh, on her own. My um, biological initiator left her um, four months before I was born, so... Um, we have a unique and uh, enduring and endearing relationship. We speak about at least once a week, the, and we are blessed to discover Skype. If you have anybody to call overseas, a computer voice, a voice over computer in a protocol called Skype is a wonderful thing. I told Mother, maybe I've shared this story, <clears throat> about a year or so ago, I said, I had a dream about you. And she said, really, what was the dream? I said, well, I dreamed that you died. And... Uh, she said, really? I said, yeah, what? And I said, but you know, the most amazing thing was the first thing that popped in my mind in my dream after they told me you had died was, well, at least you won't ask that question anymore. And the question was, every time for 18 years, she's asked, when are you moving home? 
So I, I said to her, at least I don't have to hear that question anymore. I don't think she's asked it since. But she's a lovely lady. Um, the, I heard a short history of, uh, I actually was down in Hamilton for the first part of yesterday and uh, heard on the way back on radio live a short history of Mother's Day. Apparently started uh, in the West, at least, uh, in the UK about 500 years ago as Mothering Sunday. Uh, it was always the fourth Sunday in Lent, and it was not a time to give gifts and flowers and chocolates and do nice things for your mother, but it was a day to spend the day with your mother. And it was so important, part of the church calendar, that even servants were given the day off to be with their mothers. But the modern-day Mother's Day began by legislative decree in the state of Virginia in the United States in 1910, where they made it a, 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 an annual day of remembrance of mothers. And that became a national proclamation of the House of Representatives in 1914. And then a company by the name of Hallmark Cards got into the game, and you know what's happened since. It's interesting, every year about Mother's Day or Valentine's Day or Father's Day, somebody comes on one of the chat shows and bemoans the fact that New Zealand is buying into just another commercial holiday. And, and that may be true of the hype, but I don't think it's ever wrong to take time to show appreciation and love and respect for the important people in our life. So I hope they continue with Mother's Day and Father's Day and Valentine's Day, because if nothing else, it's a great time to eat chocolate. So we're going to look at um, this conversation between G uh, Jesus and his mother Mary found in John chapter 2, verses 1 to 12, and I'll read it for us. The next day, Jesus' mother was a guest at a wedding celebration in the village of Cana in Galilee. Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the celebration. The wine supply ran out during the festivities, so Jesus spoke to him about the problem. So Jesus' mother spoke to him about the problem. They have no more wine, she told him. How does that concern you and me, Jesus asked. My time has not yet come. But his mother told the servants, do whatever he tells you. Six stone water pots were standing there. and They were used for Jewish ceremonial purposes and held about 20 to 30 gallons each. Jesus told the servants, fill the jars with water. And when the jars had been filled to the brim, he said, dip some out and take it to the master of ceremonies. So they followed his instruction. When the master of ceremonies tasted the water, that was now wine, not knowing where it had come from, though, of course, the servants knew. He called the bridegroom over. He said, usually the host serves the best wine first, and then when everyone else is full and doesn't care, he brings out the less expensive wines. But you have kept the best until now. This miraculous sign at Cana in Galilee was Jesus' first display of his glory, and his disciples believed him. And after the wedding, he went to Capernaum for a few days with his mother and his brothers and his disciples. Um, the Gospels are, are wonderful, and they tell a wonderful story of Jesus and his life, but sometimes uh, I'm struck with the uniqueness of Jesus' approach. Of, of all the, you know, he, when he was born, in, uh, came to planet Earth, he came without fanfare except for a few angels. Born in a manger, born in, in a lowly state. Um, and now, when he begins his earthly ministry, and according to the testimony of Scripture, for the first time, displayed his glory. For the first time, he sort of crossed the, the barrier uh, that existed between uh, him and us and, and, and displayed, for the first time, in a public way, um, his deity, really, his glory, his person who he was, and the fact that he was Lord of the universe, and therefore he had control and power and authority even over the elements 
and he could change containers full of H2O into wine. But it's, and it's also interesting that that came at the initiation of his mother Mary. Uh, and it seems, at least at the first part of the discussion, that Jesus doesn't want to have a bar of it, but we'll get to that in a minute. We learn something uh, about Mary from this conversation and from others. The Mary was a person who thought deeply about the things of God and so was in a position to sense the timing of heaven in regards to this miracle. In another little conversation that Jesus had with his mother, it was many years before when he was a young child, they had taken him to, uh, to Jerusalem as was the custom when he was 12 years old, as was the custom to, to go and, and fulfill some ceremonial obligations. And uh, you know the story, Jesus gets separated from his parents and lingers behind and astounds the, the teachers and scribes with his knowledge and wisdom and knowledge of the scriptures and his wisdom. And finally, his parents find him. And in Luke chapter 2, verse 48, it says, His parents didn't know what to think. Um, son, son, his mother said to him, Why have you done this? Your father and I have been frantic, searching everywhere. But why did you need to search, he asked. You should have known that I would be, about, be in my father's house. But they didn't understand what it meant. But Mary wasn't happy to leave it there. She had developed a habit of, of reflection and contemplation of the things that were going on around her and the way God was moving in and around their lives, which we'll look at earlier in their life, which we'll look at in just a minute. Luke chapter 2, verse 51 says, When they returned to Nazareth, with, he returned to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them, and his mother stored all these things in her heart. Mary was this player in this huge event that, that heaven had organized to redeem us by sending Jesus to, to planet earth and to live among us and <clears throat> eventually to grow and to eventually to minister and then to be crucified and die and be raised again on the third day and ascend into heaven where we wait for him to come back again. And Mary was right in the middle of that, that drama that God was playing out. But from the very beginning, she began to reflect deeply about what was going on in her, in her life. Uh, another thing that's quite astounding about the Gospels is how revolutionary it is in, in its time. Uh, in in the, the time of the Gospels, the role of women was really quite restrictive. It was really quite uh, unfettered um, with the things of, of God and with the things of, uh, of the, the truth of the, the, the law. And yet Mary we find, in, in Mary we find a person who had great sensitivity and great insight. So she reflected on this episode when Jesus stayed behind at the temple and, and what, what he meant and what he must have meant when he said, you know, I needed to be in my father's house about my father's business. And she stored up this, in, these insights in her heart. Do you remember in Luke chapter 2, we're working our way backwards in the, the book of Luke, Luke chapter 2, verse 18 and 19. It says, all the shepherds who heard the story were astonished, but Mary quietly treasured these things in her heart and thought about them often. So as Mary was a player in this drama, she was also a reflector on the, what was going on and what it meant to her life and what it meant uh, in the big picture. The habit of thinking deeply on the things of God is what built the character needed to respond correctly at the time of the big ask. Mary, uh, when, the, when the angel first appeared to Mary, uh, she wasn't just a, a young girl playing with a doll. She was a unique person who obviously 
um, had reflected deeply about the things of God and her place in, in life and God's place in her life. So, and it developed character so that when the big ask came in her life, she was able to answer correctly. Sometimes I think you and I aren't ready to hear from God or to follow His direction or His instructions simply because we don't give it much thought on a daily basis. We miss the opportunities and the impulses of God simply because we're not thinking about it much. We're not wrestling with it much. We're not musing about our relationship with God and His place in the world and His place in our lives. We kind of come together, we, uh, we, we do our church thing, and we go home and we accept... Suddenly there was a strange noise and someone ran out of the room. I wonder if they're connected. Um, I used to walk through the Michigan woods with my father-in-law, Kitty's dad, Lee. And dad was kind of a, an ambler. He kind of ambled along. He never, never was one of these people who walked with a purposeful gait. He kind of ambled along and and you'd, you'd walk and be in deep conversation about something, and Dad, Dad finally stop and go, oh, look at this. This is a... And he'd pick up some leaf or some fruit or some nut or, or point out some bird or some insect, you know, and, and tell, tell a little history about it and draw some insight out of it. And we'd walk along and be talking about theology or talking about this or that or just talking about the, the Detroit Tigers, whatever it was, talking about our lives, and suddenly he'd stop again and he'd say, oh, look at there's this. And... It, it dawned on me that he had tremendous peripheral vision so that, he, so that he could go through life and yet not miss the little nuances of life and pick up on, on what was going on around him because simply because he thought deeply about it, he reflected deeply about it, so therefore his eyes were always open. And I think one of the things we learned from Mary's life is that because she reflected deeply about the things of God, it was more than just a formula. She didn't just get up in the morning, read the Bible, and close the book, and never think about it again. She didn't only interrupt her normal thought patterns with God thoughts when she prayed at the mealtime or when they sat in the, the women's court in the temple. She thought deeply about it, and therefore she was ready when the big ask happened. She was ready when things happened to, to, to anticipate the heart of God in, in matters. In Joshua 1.8, when Joshua was assuming the leadership of the nation of Israel, the Lord admonished him not to let the book of the law depart from his mouth. He said, don't let the book of the law depart from your mouth, but meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it, and then you will be prosperous and successful. And I don't think what that means is that Joshua was called to have nothing but a continual loop of Scripture running around in his head. But what it is, is it's a call to a lifestyle that reflects deeply on the things of God so that it's always in there. It's never very far away. It's always in there to blend in with the events of life and to, to draw the insights. And, of course, the promise to, to Joshua was that if he'd do that, two things would happen. One is he'd be careful, be able to be careful to do according to what God wanted him to do. In other words, he would have an awareness of, of God's ways and God's path. And secondly, there was a promise of prosperity, of success in everything that he did. So it's not surprising that when Mary was approached by the angel before that very first Christmas with the biggest ask of biggest asks. You can't get a bigger ask than, can I borrow your womb, please? How about a spontaneous conception? 
how about an interlude with the Holy Ghost that issues forth in your pregnancy? Trust me. It was out of a life that was practiced at reflecting deeply about the things of God and to musing and to letting the truth of God roll over and, and mixing it in with the affairs of life to see what God's doing and what he may want to do in the affairs of life that Mary said, I am the Lord's servant and I am willing to accept whatever he wants. May everything you have said come true. Now there are two powerful declarations in that, that passage. Really very powerful declarations. Declaration number one, I am the Lord's servant. It's a declaration, uh, a statement of position. It's stating uh, what ought to be a fact and maybe what's true by, by default. But in, in this case, Mary was taking ownership of this declaration. I am the Lord's servant. I wonder when the last time you declared to God, to yourself, or to others, you know, I'm the Lord's servant. So that however my life is lived, it's going to be lived in light of the fact that I'm the Lord's servant. It's going to reflect the, the, the reality that I'm the Lord's servant. That means we, we put ourselves in a position of being a servant. And then the next one is a declaration of practice. I am willing to accept whatever. That's, that, that's the challenge of the servant, is to declare it to own it, take ownership. You know, I'm not the boss, Lord, you're the boss. I'm the servant, you're the Lord, you're the master, you're the coach, you're the mentor, you're the director. I am your servant. Secondly, the, the uh, statement of practice, I'm willing to accept whatever, because that's what a servant does. A servant shows up and accepts the task. I had a chance for four and a half years to essentially be a person's servant, to be Gene Moore's servant. My, my, job, my job title was um, assistant to the president of War Realty and Management Company, which really sounded very posh, but really what it was, my job was to show up at his house at 8 o'clock every day and find out what he wanted me to do. So that there weren't things that existed outside my job description. That's the role of a servant. And it's something that, that I had to own and, and didn't always just like we don't always own that position in our relationship with God. But it's something we need to declare in our hearts. I am the Lord's servant. Because Mary had made that decision, she thought deeply about life and about the implications of, of a God who exists and, and who reigns in heaven and wants to reign in our hearts. She understood so that when the angel came and said, look, God's got a plan for you. It's a disruptive plan. It's an it's an." assaultive plan, but it's a plan that will glorify him and give you a position for the rest of your life in the, in the history of the world. She'd already made the decision that I'm a servant. She'd already made a statement of practice that I'm willing to accept whatever happens. Therefore, may everything you said come true. Huge, huge, hugely powerful declarations. Have you made them? You said, Lord, I'm your servant. I'm, I'm here to serve you. I'm here to glorify you. I'm your servant. And Lord, I'm willing to accept whatever that means in my life. 
Mary's appeal to, to Jesus at the wedding was not whimsical, but the result of a lifetime of thinking deeply and wondering on and about the ways of God. So I wonder if when they showed up at this wedding, which was, you know, as still is, uh, a, a prime event in the life of a community, but certainly in the life of a little Jewish community that Jesus was from. I was speaking to Kelvin the other day about having gone out to eat with uh, a Chinese businessman once in Pakaranga and was overwhelmed by the amount of food that was purchased and, uh, and how much was left when we all ate all we could. And, and Kelvin uh, said to me that, that at least in part of the Chinese culture, if you invite someone to a meal and the food is all gone when they're done eating, um, it, it's a, it would be, you'd be embarrassed could be an insult to your generosity if there wasn't more left. Now, to me, it's just a greater challenge, you know. My, my grandmother always told me to clean my plate. This is why I'm this big. Go to people who are generous and have to eat it all. It's a, it's a trap. But you can imagine the, uh, the horror if you ran out of wine at a wedding or ran out of provision at a wedding in a little community like this. And maybe Mary just thought, you know, this, is a, this would be an opportunity for Jesus to demonstrate what's really going on here. Maybe Mary was a bit like Moses in Psalm 103.7. says, he made, way his, he, he made known his ways to Moses and his deeds to the people of Israel. Moses, the Bible tells us, had a friend-to-friend relationship with God. He spoke to him often, thought about him often. And God responded by showing his ways, not only what he was doing, but also why he was doing it, what his purposes were. So when the situation presented itself, she concluded it fit into the profile of what Jesus would do. Now, at more weddings that I can remember, I've said these words. Jesus chose a wedding to perform his first miracle, changing six 100-liter stone jars full of water into wine. He did this for at least four reasons. First, his mother asked him to, which is a good reason to do anything. Secondly, he wanted to save the family from an unspeakable social embarrassment. Thirdly, he wanted the celebration to be able to continue. And lastly, the Bible says, to reveal his glory. And the result was that his disciples put their faith in him. It's amazing how God chooses to reveal his glory. The simple things, meeting the the immediate needs of a family who's not even mentioned. Just maybe Mary's mother had a hunch or insight that the time had come for Jesus to make his move into a uh, into the public arena. Jesus' response seems unsupportive. What does that have to do with us? What was going through Jesus' mind? I don't know. Maybe in his humanity he was tentative. Maybe he understood that once he launched into the public ministry and declared his glory, that things were going to change forever. And at the end of that road was the cross. So in his humanity, he was going, whoa, 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 whoa. Not quite ready. Maybe it was just just a remark. But then Mary plays what is the power card for the servant. This is the power move for a servant. You know, the most powerful move you can make as a servant 
is say, do whatever he says. I'll do whatever you say. It actually is a powerful negotiating ploy. Things get heated. Say, okay, we'll do it your way. Uh, whoa, suddenly the person's responsible for whatever. So she just turns to the servants and said, you just do whatever he says. Because you see, that was Mary's position in life, in the relationship to the things of God. She had ideas, she had requests, maybe she had solutions, but in the end, she'd already nailed her flag to the, to, the, uh, to the post when she said, I am your servant and I am willing and make uh, everything happens that you said. So she just says, do whatever he tells you to do. She believed in the impossible. She asked for the improbable and then left it in his hands. It's the power move of the servant to approach God. And I think that's what our approach ought to be to God. Ask, believe for the impossible, ask for the improbable, and then leave it in his hands. We need to approach God the same way, with the same heart. Reach high, ask big, and rest in the will of God. That's what Jesus did, didn't he? Father, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, thy will be done. It is the power play of the servant. It was Mary's habit. I am the Lord's servant. I am willing to accept whatever he wants. May everything you said come true. But in Mary's life, she persisted even when the asks got harder and harder and harder. In Luke chapter 8, verse 19 and 21, it says, Once Jesus' mother and brothers came to see him, but they couldn't get in because of the crowds, and someone told Jesus, Your mother and brother are outside and they want to see you Jesus replies my mother and brothers are all those who hear the message of God and obey me what does that mean suddenly maybe as a result of Mary asking insisting that Jesus perform this miracle at Cana it started a series of events that at its epicenter Jesus was so focused that he was detached and almost unresponsive to his, his family there was another time when the Jesus when the family came to collect him because they thought he was out of his mind so Mary had moments of difficulty in staying committed to this resolution that I am your servant I am willing let whatever you want to happen happen in and through my life it must have been hard to remain faithful to her son and his calling but she made it till the end Standing near the cross, Jesus' mother and his were Jesus' mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. Imagine that. This all started back when an angel visited her one one day, told her a miraculous story of a savior that was going to be born through her womb, miraculously by the Holy Spirit. She'd raised Jesus, this remarkable young man who had an enlightened spirit, an intense love for his father in heaven, and, and a remarkable for his age, wisdom and perception that baffled the teachers. He was the son who um, relented to a mother's request and salvaged a party by supplying more wine. He was the son who she watched go about the land healing and doing good and 
teaching wonderful truths from God and now she stood at the cross, a criminal's cross as he had been unfairly tried, unfairly judged and unfairly executed on the cross. But Mary was there. She hadn't abandoned her quest. She was there in part because she was a servant. She was willing and she was waiting to see what God wanted to happen. And of course, it goes on says when Jesus saw his mother standing there besides the disciple he loved he said to her woman he is your son Jesus on hanging on the cross dying for our sins sees his mother at the foot of the cross must have been an enormously emotive moment and then he sees who most people believe is the apostle John the one who wrote the letter standing next to Mary and he says to Mary he's your son and he turns to John and says, she's your mother. In other words, now you go. Take care of her. You look after him. It was an intensely intense moment. Can you imagine how hard it was to say, I'm your servant. I'm willing to do whatever you want me to do at that moment. Yet she stayed faithful and stayed on to the end. Acts chapter 1 verse 14 says they, this is after the crucifixion, after the resurrection, after the ascension into heaven. And they all met together continually along with Mary the mother of Jesus and several other women and the brothers of Jesus. Things had changed remarkably, but Mary was still there reflecting the truth about her life. The truth that's reflected in that conversation she had with Jesus. You do what he says. Mary's life presents a call for us, for you and I to be more thoughtful in our walk with God, to think deeply about it. Mary's life presents a call for us to place ourselves as willing servants, to say those two declarations for real in our own life. You know, Lord, I'm your servant, and I'm willing. Would you say it today? Let's pray together. declaration of us being your servant Lord shouldn't be something that uh, is a huge deal it should just be the way we live our life and we walk our life we approach life settling the fact that you're the boss you're in control you're in charge and we're your servants but we own that we place ourselves there we make ourselves open and willing to do what you want to do in our lives and through our lives and we want whatever plan you have for us to be a reality in our lives. But that only happens as we take responsibility for that, as we own that. And that only happens because we are living our lives with that in view. We're thinking deeply about our relationship. We're thinking broadly about our relationship with you. We're making the decision on a daily basis to live our lives as your servant and let our lives reflect that. Father, we thank you for this little conversation that Jesus had with his mom and how it reflected a life well lived with commitments made early in life that built character in their life. Lord, we're going to face things this week that it's going to be difficult for us to say, I am your servant, I am willing. But give us the strength and the courage to say that 
in our relationship with you and let it reflect in every other aspect of our life. In Jesus' name, amen.